So we are in a series at the moment of looking at the DNA, uh, what the church is, who the church is, who is Covenant Life Fellowship. Last week we looked at growing, and if we just throw up the, uh, the statement there, that is the identity statement. And would you read this with me? So we are a growing, multi-generational Jesus-centered community that experiences truth and love through life-giving relationships with God and one another. Now, as we've always asked, find yourself in that statement because you are here, you are here this Sunday morning uh, for a reason. There are hundreds of other churches out there, but there is something unique about our church that you are drawn to. There is something in this body that you feel that you can serve, that you can highlight, that you can strengthen to see the kingdom go forth in Washington. And so last week we looked at what it was to be a growing church. The definition that I love of a a living organism that grows. It's the pattern of being rooted in the uh, environment that we grow, that we grow in size, that we change physically. And so we looked at being with Jesus is the thing that we root ourselves in, right? And from that, we can tell if we're being with Jesus because you will naturally grow in size and you will change physically to become more like him. You will notice that you have peace in your life. You will notice that you love other people, that you will be able to see hope where there is hopelessness. And so we are rooted as a church in being with Jesus. That's why our worship is the way it is. We want to experience the truth and love. And we're going to be talking about what it means to be an experiential church um, in a couple of weeks as well. But today I want to look at Jesus-centered. We're also not a religious church that would naturally go through the word progression. So if that fuss you that we've missed the word and we're coming back to it. I'm sorry, that's another part of our DNA as a church. And so Jesus-centered. Now this word Jesus-centered really got added last minute. It's very much the core of who we are. And it's not really uh, something that we always thought, well, do we really need to say it? Because really it's everything that we are. But how do you know that when you bust up your stomach or back you know, have an operation around this area, every single movement matters. I mean, everything. It's like you know that you've, you've hurt your, you've pulled a muscle here, anywhere around this back area, and you know about it. Because our core is essential to all part of our body. It holds our body together. A strong core will improve your technique, strength, stamina, and complement everything that you do. And I know at the gym, I'm kind of a bit lazy. You know, I'll do my back and buys, my, my chest and tries, and you know, the, the stomach's getting worked while I do everything else. And I don't ever intentionally work that, so the dad bod is, is very much alive. But I think as we begin to work our core, something we so forget that it's so present, right? It's there all the time, but when it's hurting, you know about it. And I think that this is a core to who we are. It is the very core of who we are. And very much in our church, we are Jesus-centered. We wouldn't 
shout it from the rooftops, or it's not the leading statement, but it is everything that we experience. It is everything that we draw from. And so when I was at Catch the Fire in Toronto, an amazing time, when I went there, I knew that God was going to deposit something. That's why I went with the intention. I knew that when I went there, that God was going to speak into the identity of who I was, but also as the church. And it was kind of in a random moment. It, was, um, it wasn't during like a holy moment, although every moment is holy. It wasn't through that, that moment where we, we're crying out to God and he just meets us in this place, you know, tears streaming down our face um, as we experience him. But it was just simply in the culture, in the environment, during the conference, when I was listening to a message, that God just dropped this, this phrase, Jesus-centered. And it suddenly sparked something inside of me. I was like, yes, we're missing. Because before, what it was, was the statement was just simply, we are a growing multi-generational community. I mean, there's nothing wrong in that. But I think it gives definition to everything that we are. And so I want to look at what it means to be a Jesus-centered church, because that's a big statement to make. Even when I was studying this week, we were speaking to Pastor Craig, I was like, how do I convey Jesus-centeredness? Because that's such a huge subject, and I'm not going to go into the theology of the uh, Trinitarianism of of everything, but I'll touch on some of that. Um, But what I want to do is, and if you have your Bibles which you do because you carry your phones. Colossians uh, chapter 1, turn with me, and I'm reading from the NIV version. So if you have, like me, a a physical Bible, pull that one out as well. Chapter 1 and verse 15, I'd love for you to read along with me. Peer over someone's shoulder if you don't have a phone with you or you don't have a Bible with you. And we're going to read this at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, for him, and before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed upon the cross. Once you were alienated from God. And were enemies in his mind because of the evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under the heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Just preaching that passage along, alone as a preacher you could just stop the service right there. There is so much wonderful truth. There are passages that you could hold the whole Bible on. You could almost hold everything within that wonderful poem, that song that they believed that was almost like a song that was put into Scripture by Paul. And Paul is writing to the Colossians who are under attack 
from the cultures around. He didn't start the church. Um, he never met that church since while he was in prison. And so he's writing out fervently to describe the superiority of who Jesus is. And I love the statement that it starts with, that he is the visible representation of the invisible God, i.e. he is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology of who the Father is. And again, as we're reading the Old Testament at the moment, we see so much through the passages that the Father is being shown in moments, right? We're getting moments of his faithfulness, his, his love, his compassion, but also his holiness, his, his anger of, towards having righteousness, and all these elements, he tries to convey himself through humans to describe who he is. And how many of you can imagine how difficult that must be for God? I mean, the lamest kind of comparison we have is trying to explain ourselves to an ant. And I know that's not even a fair comparison of what the difference is, but it's just impossible. We use the word like, he is like, he is like this and that. And it's not truly who he is. And so he sent his son to be perfect theology of who God is. And so everything that we see of who God is, anything that is outside of Jesus as a follower of Jesus, anything that of God falls outside of who Jesus is, we've got a question. If anything falls outside of who he is, because he was perfect representation. I love that God was kind of like describing himself over and over again. It's like, it's just not working. I'm going to do, not only show myself physically, but I'm going to put myself in a body that they know so well, and I'm going to walk alongside of them. I don't think there's a better way that we could understand fully human, fully God, understand the things of who we are. And so what did Jesus come to do when he came to earth? There are many kind of sub points that we as a follower of Jesus know. We know that he saved the lost. We could say that. We could say that Jesus came to save the lost, set the captives free, heal the sick, defeat the devil. He came to redeem person, culture, place, make us whole again. He came to bring about the realization of the kingdom and lay down a new way of life. All of those are great points, but they are sub points of a greater thing that Jesus was doing. See, Jesus came to reveal the Father. In everything that he did, in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Also, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, I know in this church... That's no problem. We believe that. We understand that. That is why we are Jesus-centered. Because I've been in this movement of church my entire life, and I've seen things get weird when Jesus is not the center. When we're all about just the, the Holy Spirit, we treat him like an energy source. We start throwing him around the room and doing all sorts of crazy things. I've been part of the charismania world for long enough to see things. And when we got... Jesus out of the center position because we cannot understand who God is and still we don't understand fully and we are slowly being reconciled to transformed into who Jesus is and so if we do not have Jesus at the center of 
everything that we do, we will always miss out, lose out, or misunderstand who the Father really is. And I know that we even look at, we, we as Christians can be guilty of this, the Old Testament and New Testament. Well, I believe of the New Testament God. We must create God like he's a bipolar God. We try and explain away. And believe me, I have more questions than ever to God because I don't understand as I'm reading the Old Testament, it doesn't seem to align up. But we've got to see it through the lens of who Jesus is. We've got to understand that he is a holy God. And again, thankful for what Jesus brought in through us. The signs and wonders that Jesus brought. Blind Bartimaeus. Isn't it amazing that when a man who was crying out saw the Son of God, he knew, even though he was blind, he knew. So we know that seeing, physically seeing, will never be the direct representation of a healing that we need. Maybe you don't see it in the physical, but blind Bartimaeus, he knew who God was. And when Jesus heard the cry, he moved. He was moved to heal Bartimaeus, who had been sitting there for years, his entire life, crying out in brokenness. We see the act of the Father's love through that. That if you are broken, that if you are crying out, if you have a sickness, if you have a need in your body, there is a Jesus that is wanting to represent the Father who is drawn close to the needy. He is drawn close to the brokenhearted. We see the demon-possessed man who had demons within demons, right? I mean, the guy was possessed by so many things, and yet Jesus met him, set him free. It shows that the Father is longing to set us free from the demons within, the things that oppress, the things that hold us back, You know, as Christians, you cannot be possessed, but you can be oppressed. And so within that that, uh, oppression that happens within our lives, we have a Father that wants to set us free. And I love that Jesus is one-step program to the demon-possessed man, right? He was like, you've been healed. This guy wanted to follow Jesus and go wherever he wanted. He said, no, I want you to be my, my first evangelist. Go and evangelize to your whole town. That was one-step program. There was no training. There was no five-step course on how you evangelize or having it together. He literally just took a powerful experience of who God is and just transformed an entire town. Don't think you have to wait to be qualified. That's the Father's heart right there. He's like, Go. Go take that goodness that I have given you. Go. We look at another story. A woman caught in adultery. Can you imagine this moment? And I know that we've heard this story over and over again. Thrown before Jesus. Probably naked. All sorts of shame in that moment. And Jesus kneeling down in the dirt, writing out what we don't know what he wrote out, but it was convicting enough. There was such a grace in that sphere that everything was transformed. Can you imagine that moment that really it was a father-daughter moment? And I know that many fathers in this room, what father, and we are, we are not even close to being anything like the father, but would throw their daughter aside in that moment cast the daughter away. And so we see again the representation of the father's love for the broken, for the people that don't have it together, that there is no condemnation now that in Jesus we have. 
that we can come with our shame, with all the sin. And he comes, transforms and says, sin no more. Go live a life that will transform others. See, Jesus isn't looking. God is not looking for elder brothers. He's not looking for people who compete, who harass others. He's not looking for those people. It's his goodness, in Romans it says, that turns us to repentance. It's not the beating on the heads, but it is the actual um, embodiment of his goodness. And just going back to that passage in Colossians, in chapter 115, as I was reading through this, that he is the image of the invisible God firstborn for all creation, there's this part that comes down and this wording that really stuck out to me in this passage. And it says, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things. Reconcile himself to all things, not just a certain people group, not just a a certain person or the people that got it together, but he came to reconcile himself to all things. And I like to take that a step further and say that he wanted to redeem and reconcile culture and the physical place. Because if he came to bring heaven onto earth, I don't think it's just souls that he was coming to reconcile. I think it was the physical place that we see around this environment. That it is physical reconciliation. Because he was, at the beginning of time, breathed into all things in creation. Because he was the very word of God. When he spoke, let there be light, Jesus was being permeated into everything that we see. And that's why he sees everything as good. And so I love that when Jesus died upon that cross, that the ground broke. Can you imagine that moment? The ground broke because I believe if Jesus is permeated into this, everything that we see and do, that when resurrection came, that when Jesus' life came forth, everything became whole again and it broke It broke almost like for a joy, I believe. And so that's why when we speak healing of the Jesus name, we speak to the very cells that he has embodied within us. We ask that Jesus come alive in everything that we see and do. And that's where it finds its life. That's where it finds its wholeness. When Jesus is center, we see wholeness and life come forth. Does that make sense to everybody? I'm sure we resonate with that already. And this is really what I'm going through in these passages is just putting out there what the truth that we believe. But I've got a challenge at the end of this. I'm really just bringing together what we already believe and know. See, in Psalm 67, it says, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way be known on the earth. Make his face means his favor shine upon us. And so what is the purpose of that? What is that purpose of that goodness? That your way be known on earth. Another verse in John 14, 12 and 13, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Notice that. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be 
glorified. Another aspect of us seeing a Jesus centered. Not only do we get our theology right, not, everything se- not only do we get everything centered around who he is correct, but also we begin to reveal who the Father is and through. I believe that prayer matters. I believe that prayer matters. When we are in relationship, when we see the the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we get the alignment of his will and his desire. See, in this very passage, it says it matters to God that his name is known in and through you. He wants to put favor upon you, each and every one of you, so that he is glorified. Do we get that this morning? That his desire for you to partner with him in prayer. He wants to see the victories in your life. He wants to see the favor in your life. But as James puts it, sometimes when we are out of the will of the desires of God, we ask for these things and we're just like, well, God, why didn't I see that breakthrough? Why didn't I see that? Maybe we're not always aligned with what his prayer. Because he does not want to extinguish the purpose in your life. Sometimes that hold back that we experience of that promise is for a good reason. Because the greater purpose that he has for you to fulfill, if he fulfilled every single promise right away, I think you would fall short of the great destiny that God has upon your life. I'm not giving just excuses for why things don't happen. But I know that there is a God that wants to show his goodness. As David spoke about in the psalm, that his goodness may shine upon your face, that his way may be known in earth. And then Jesus following that saying, hey, whatever you ask in my name, ask it because the Father wants to be glorified. He wants to be known as a good God. Now, when we use the term good, we don't mean that he just um, kind of overlooks all the, the, the things within our lives. He knows that we're flawed. He knows that we're broken. He looks upon sin with disgust. He does. At the same time, though, he invites us, as we are, to come reconcile us, to be whole in who he is and calls us to be. So goodness is not necessarily what we think. Sometimes when I think of a, a good um, a good person. When I was younger especially, it was someone who gave me everything I wanted, right? You had those, those people in your lives like, they're a good person because they give me sweets, they let me do whatever I want. That was always uh, kind of a definition for us is when we had parents, when, when my parents, when I was a, a child, you know, they have such good parents because they always used to just let them do whatever they wanted. And lo and behold, as they've grown older, That doesn't show as true goodness. Because we know as parents, we know what's good for our kids, right? Or at least we we kind of hope we do. Sweets all the time for them is not a good thing. And we need to be that. And so the Father's goodness knows. But he wants, if Jesus came to reveal the Father, how much more does he want to reveal the Father in and through us? To reconcile us so that we can reconcile and show the world the God's goodness. Just some quick stories of God's goodness just over this, this time that we've experienced. So uh, as many of you know, we had uh, Alicia who had her sickness, um, which fully healed, transformed. We thank you, God. Every night when I pray for her, I just thank, her, I thank God for his goodness in healing and transforming her. And we went into that situation um, not only with, um, uh, with, with the healing of the 
of the situation, but also we came out more blessed than when we went into the situation. That was our kind of first thing. There was all bills that were paid for, encounters with God that you can never know. You know when it says, you lead me through the valley of death. How many of you know when you've been through the darkest moments, sometimes the presence of God is so much more real, that experience of realness. I I mean, that in itself was invaluable to me, that I knew that there was a father, there was peace when everything was chaos. Some people even said, you seem really peaceful when everything seems to be going wrong right now. I said, "I, I can't explain it. I just feel that everything's going to be okay. I think whatever happens, I know that God has me in his hands. And I couldn't explain it. Two years ago almost, um, we had that crazy rain, flooding. We lost one of our cars. We live in East Washington, in the city. I was up to my waist in water because of all the drains backing up and everything like that. And we lost a car. We actually managed to, and so we actually, but the waters, as me and Rachel were frantically trying to clear the water out because the water was starting to come up in our basement, we had maybe a couple of inches. I mean, it literally got to where the washer and the dryer was and it receded. It was like everything was so close because lo and behold, I didn't realize that water damage, insurance doesn't cover any of that. That could have been a massive bill. Um, Crazy, crazy situation. But we got so much more money back for our car than what it was worth. We came out more blessed than we went into the situation. Fast forward again to the last couple of weeks. We went away to catch the fire and it's winter and one of our uh, pipes burst. Um, thank- thankfully, Becca came through and helped. And the water was running probably for a day or so. And so we had a nice hefty water bill. And, you know, we've got to do some repairs. But you guys gave into our future. And so we were met more blessed than we came out with. And so every time God is building this memorial, this history of his goodness. And so for me, uh, we are called to be reconcilers. It says this twice that Jesus came to reconcile himself. It goes again in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in his mind because of the evil behavior, because you didn't have it together. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Paul is very fervent about preaching this gospel. In fact, he goes on in Romans 5 and verse 10 and 11. It says, for while you were enemies, you were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. We have received the reconciliation. We've received the good news. Now we get to go and reconcile. It's not good advice that we have to tell people. We have good news to tell people. We have good news to tell people. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 21, this reconciliation passage, again, what, it, what does it mean to, for us to be reconcilers? And it says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us so that we could reconcile. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
We don't really have too much of ambassadors or they're not so culturally known so much. But back in that day, you were the king's head. You were the representation that when you went into any other culture, you were the direct representation of the culture, the language. Everything you embodied was a representation of the king. You weren't just some um, small menial person. No, you were the voice of the king. I want to put that and prophesy that over every single one of you. You are ambassadors of reconcilers. You are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ embodied on this planet. Amen. Good point. You are reconcilers. He has reconciled you that you can be ambassadors. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that cool? The very words that you speak. The very words that I'm even speaking now. I'm on behalf because I'm a Christian like you are. Speaking out as an ambassador. The truth to appeal to who God is. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One thing I want you to notice out of these two passages I just read, reconciliation is not something we do. Reconciliation is not something we do. It is something God has accomplished. The ministry of reconciliation is not telling people to make peace with God. Get this. The ministry of reconciliation is not telling people to make peace with God, but telling them that God has made peace with the world. But telling them that God has made peace with the world. So we've had this through in the last like 60, 70 years, the turn or burn preach, the fear of hell, I'll scare you into hell, or scare the hell out of you, um, is often the phrase that was used. And that's not what reconciliation is here, because God, in this passage, it's not saying that he uh, wants man to reconcile himself to them. He's saying, I have reconciled myself to you. Wake up to the reconciliation that is already around. Wake up to the goodness that I already have. And so, we are called to be people of reconciliation. So when you see that DNA statement, when you see is Jesus-centered Know that you are an ambassador of reconciliation to all kinds. To the poor, to the needy, to the broken, to the rich, to the poor. To every single race, to every single group of people that you are called. And we believe at this church in transformation. A value that we believe in this church. We want every person to reach their full potential, body, mind and spirit. So that they can fulfill their God-given purpose. So that you, understanding who you are, impact the culture and place that you are from. That's the job of the church. It's not to do the work for you, I'm afraid. So if you're part of this community, I'm sorry you're going to have to do some work. You're not just going to hear a nice message every single Sunday, feel good and go out uh, to the streets, feel good for the week and come back and get your refill. No. You are called. Now that you know this truth, I'm also sorry to say you're going to be held accountable to that. So, apologies for that. 
So when you stand before the throne of God and he asks, were you a reconciler? Did you show the goodness? Did you show your, my goodness, the Father's goodness to other people? See, that's why sometimes in our hurry, we miss the details of what God is doing in and through every single situation. So often we're so busy that we miss the sunshine that shines perfectly on a day and a moment that we need. You know that parking spot that you needed in that moment. You know, we pray that. There's never more of a praying ministry that starts when you need a parking spot in a moment. When you're driving down to Pittsburgh, please God, let there be a parking space for me. We miss the moments. And are we expressing, are we shining through God's goodness to the world around us? The favor, the health that you give. Favor is not just financial gain, right? It's also the health that we embody. It's the joy, it's the peace, it's the love that we express. Are you reconciling people and showing his goodness? Because you can't reconcile people to God. Married people in the room, how many times have you tried to reconcile and change your other half to be what you want them to be? And how many of you worked out that actually it's the Holy Spirit's job and I'm still trying to work on it? And I know Rach is probably still working on it with me. <laughs> um, but we don't try and reconcile each other, but we show the goodness of something better. That's reconciliation. And I want to finish with this point as we come to take communion together. Cool thing about this place, the physical ground that we reside on. Um, Isaac Leet, um, that many of you who've lived in this church have heard the story of Isaac Leet. He was an Englishman. So how fitting is it that an Englishman now is here pastoring at the church? He's just bringing back redemption. He's bringing you back to your correct ways. Isaac Leet. Uh, in 1779, uh, he took over this land, 300 acres that we see around this area. And he was an, an arbiter, which means that he was a person that would resolve disputes outside of the court. So he didn't want people going to court. He would try and make peace with other people um, around so they didn't have to go to the court system. And how good is that, that Jesus is that representation that we don't have to go to court anymore to be tried of whether we are good or whether we are bad, whether we've lived the life or not, that Jesus has been that direct representation for us, that we don't go to that court anymore, that he embodies, that we've been made right outside of the court room. Jesus has made a way. He has been the peacemaker for us to reconcile us to God. But Isaac Leet, who owned this land, was known as the peacemaker. That was his name, Isaac Leet, peacemaker. And so how cool is it? And I just, it blew me away when, when God kind of, because I remember Pastor Craig Timlin's story, and just as I was working through this sermon, he dropped that into this, that this church is not built uh, when, when it was looking to be built, it wasn't the first choice land. You know? It's not the best land, if we're honest. It's not close to the city. It's kind of tucked away. It's kind of annoying sometimes when you think about location-wise, trying to explain to people over and over again. So where's your church again? Well, it's off Jesus' place. You make this turn, this turn, and it's here. You can see it from the highway, but trying to get to it can be a bit of a pain. And so uh, you know, we kind of have this body. Was it the first choice? And I felt like God say, this was the land that you were meant to occupy. Because of your nature as a church to be Jesus-centered, to be peacemakers, to be reconcilers of the goodness of God, you were to embody the physical land of a peacemaker. 
And for all of you who, I don't know whether this freaks you out or not, or the spiritualness of it, but we embody the spiritual DNA of the land as a peacemaker. We have purchased from a peacemaker. And I love that. And so we speak over covenant life, reconciliation. And so uh, I'd love for the guys to bring up the uh, communion table and invite the worship team up. See, as followers of Jesus, we pursue this by making disciples of Jesus. Jesus who loved God, love one another and love our city. It's really simple what we have to do, but it's, it's difficult. There are three things. You are all called to make disciples of Jesus. You are called to encourage other people. You are called. And so the great thing is, is that Jesus did embody a person who was demon-possessed. We're talking about a demon-possessed man was healed and then said to go make disciples of other people. So if you feel disqualified today, you ain't got no hope. Because there was a demon-possessed man who had all sorts of brokenness, probably still going on. I mean, he didn't have RTF. He didn't have all the issue focuses resolved and done. He didn't have the teachings of Jesus in that moment to even say, hey, how do I, how do, I do this process? We are called to reconcile and to cause other people to be disciples of Jesus. You are called to love one another. And you are called to love this city. It's really simple, but it's really difficult because so often we don't really want to. Because if we're honest, the reconciliation within us, we have the cure to cancer. We have the cure to the cancer of this world. But how often do you feel sometimes that it's not a cure? That maybe you've lost hope in that reconciliation. Maybe you've lost hope in the truth of what this stands for because of your situation, because of your experiences. And today I really felt as we take communion, we're going to take communion together by you coming up through the center aisle. And we practice open communion so anyone can take communion. If you believe in Jesus, we invite you to the Lord's table. But what an amazing picture of reconciliation that came through the bread and the wine. That his body was broken for us. This is the remembrance that we have of the reconciliation that was caused for us. The reconciliation that gave us life and life to the full. And even as we take it today, um, the pastors, we're going to just be standing up here wanting to pray for you today. We want to prophesy over each and every one of you just a short prayer that you are an ambassador of Jesus. It's not in your strength. You don't have to convince people of who Jesus is. Your life, let it him shine through you. Let the favor of God, because that's what he wants. He wants to answer your prayers. For those people at your workplace that are so far from God, he wants to answer and he wants you to be the co-laborer of that answer. He wants to bless you so that you can bless others. He doesn't want you to beat them over a head saying, this is what you must believe. You're a sinner for going out drinking the night before. Look at you. You're in all these different relationships. You're a mess. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I want you to be an ambassador to show people the wholeness of what it looks like to be a Christian. That we don't need the things of this world. 
He does, he's not against things, but they're not where we find our life. We know a better message than what the world is telling us. But we can forget. We can forget and Jesus can easily be decentered, if that's even a word. But I've just made it a word. Um, he can be dethroned. And so this wonderful moment that we get to take communion together is a remembrance of what he did for us to remind you that you are a reconciler because of everything Jesus did because of his goodness can we bow our heads in prayer Father I thank you for the reconciliation I thank you for that hope that we have in you Jesus Lord we come to you broken we come needing reconciliation ourselves today reminded of what you have already done for us reminding ourselves of the goodness that you have that it's not our job to tell people to make peace with God but telling them that God has made peace with the world that he is our hope that he is our peace so Lord we celebrate today we celebrate today what you have done that this is not a mourning that we come to this is not a sadness of well I failed again this is the joy that when we were broken yet while we were still sinners you reconciled us you said I've come all the way into your personal space and he's looking at you in the eyes and saying will you say yes again Will you remember what I have already done for you? Will you express that through your actions? Will you live in a way that will shine the Father's love to a fatherless generation? Will your love shine to an orphan spirit city? Because Washington has an orphan spirit. It needs loved it needs loved. And so Lord, as this message just permeates every part of who we are, as we come to take the bread, we come to take the juice together, Lord God. Remind us that we are ambassadors. You call us ambassadors. We're not qualified. We don't qualify ourselves, but you have qualified us to be the voice to a hopeless generation and so we bless this time together in Jesus name Amen